what happens after we die? Many have tried to prove that an afterlife exists by using technology to reach out beyond the veil. From capturing samples of supposed voices of the dead, and even imagery from another plane of existence, results have ranged from believable to completely outlandish. However, what if instead of capturing muddled fleeting proof, we could instead have a two-way live interaction with the dead? This is something strange. And this is Spiricom, Telephone to the Dead. Famed escape artist and illusionist, Harry Houdini, cheated death multiple times. While each close call remained etched into his memory until the end, none came closer than his first attempt at escaping a grave from his buried alive act. Buried six foot deep without a coffin, Houdini quickly found himself to be exhausted as the immense pressure of the earth above him crushed the air completely out of his lungs. He somehow managed to dig himself out just enough to push his hand out of this makeshift grave, after which his assistants pulled his near lifeless body from the pit. With his regular brushes with debt, Houdini made a pact with his wife Bess. The agreement was, whoever dies first, they must contact the other person with a message from the great beyond. Houdini, who had a disdain for spiritualists and how they would mislead the public, wanted, in the event of his or Bess's death, to prove or disprove the notion of contacting those who have passed on. Houdini and Bess even had a special message that only they would understand, just in case the surviving person was tricked. It was a message that only the couple could ever know. The message was... Rosabelle. Answer. Tell. Pray. Answer. Look. Tell. Answer. Answer. Tell. Houdini died aged 52 on October 31st, 1926 from a ruptured appendix, most likely brought on from an altercation which led to him being struck in the abdomen. Bess was never contacted by Houdini from beyond the grave, and she herself died on February 11th, 1943 from a heart attack. It seems that even the ultimate escape artist could not escape the finality of death itself. But what if the veil between this life and the afterlife was pulled back and a two-way conversation could take place? Every culture and religion has its own explanation of what happens after death. 
from an afterlife where you live for eternity without pain and sorrow, to a chance to be reincarnated into a new body to re-experience the world, to returning to stardust, it's a question every religion, society and person has postulated. While some may be steadfast in their belief of what happens upon death, having proof of what happens once you breathe your final breath is appealing to just about everyone. This quest to find proof has come in many different forms over much of recorded history, most notably in the form of spirit mediums of the 19th century and the use of Ouija boards and conducting seances. But while these claims of speaking to the dead had their followers, there were those who wanted to ground the idea of contacting the dead purely in science, thus giving the world undeniable proof that existence of oneself continues after death. Thomas Edison was a believer in an afterlife. He thought it would be possible to obtain recordings of voices of those who had passed on. Speaking to the Scientific American magazine in 1920, Edison said, I don't claim that our personalities pass on to another existence or sphere. I don't claim anything because I don't know anything about the subject. For that matter, no human being knows. But I do claim it is possible to construct an apparatus which will be so delicate that if there are personalities in another existence or sphere who wish to get in touch with us in this existence or sphere, the apparatus will at least give them a better opportunity to express themselves than the tilting tables and wraps and Ouija boards and mediums and the other crude methods now purported to be the only means of communication. Edison's device never came to fruition. He died before he could create it. But it set the stage for a number of researchers to investigate the concept that the voice of those who have passed on could be captured on a recording device. These alleged recordings would come to be known as EVP, Electronic Voice Phenomenon. The pioneers in the field included Attila von Saleh, Frederick Jurgensen, and Konstantin Raudive. The following is one of many EVP recordings by Raudive. The first voice is that of Margarete Petrowski, who had told the experimenter during her lifetime that she did not believe in an existence after death. After her passing, the experimenter asked her how she felt in the beyond, and a voice, identified as coming from Margarete, answered, Bedenke, ich bin. German, imagine, I am. Again we hear Margarete Petrowski's voice, this time calling her former employer, Dr. Zenta Maurina. Zenta. Now the experimenter asks if Margarete can hear him, and a voice replies, Kostya, ja. German, Kostya, 
yes. The voice then calls the experimenter's family name, Raudive, but shortens it to Raudiv. And now we hear in Latvian and German, Koste, tu tick na. Koste, you are so near. The voices that can be heard during EVP sessions are often muddled, confusing to decipher at times, and can sometimes be interpreted in different ways. This often leads to skeptics chalking EVP down to an auditory form of pareidolia, which is when humans try and find meaning or order in ambiguous patterns, or in this case, sounds. But whereas EVP can capture ghostly words from spirits that sometimes have no context, research engineer George W. Meek would change all of this, as Meek would claim to create a device which allowed for a two-way conversation between the living and the dead. If this were true, the barrier between the world of the living and the realm of the dead would no longer exist as we perceived it and Meek's invention would essentially change the world as we know it. George W. Meek was a graduate of Michigan University in 1932, where he specialized in the field of thermodynamics. Meek invented and patented a number of revolutionary air conditioning systems, one of which would be used in the Pentagon in the 1940s. Meek then acted as a technical advisor to Avril Harriman during World War II. However, after the war, he decided to open his own engineering and consulting business, which he focused on up until his 60th birthday in 1970. In an agreement with his wife Jeanette, once he turned 60, he would retire so they could both travel the world together. And they did. But Meek didn't and couldn't stop there entirely as it could be argued that now, during his retirement, his true work could finally begin. For the longest time, Meek was interested in the world of the paranormal and dabbled in what was known as ITC, Instrumental Transcommunication. Essentially, ITC was similar to EVP, but whereas EVP completely focused its efforts on capturing a spirit's voice through an audio device, ITC fishes with a much, much larger net. Whether it's with a video recorder, a fax machine, a computer, or even a television, ITC's goal was to capture spirits, whether it was on video, audio, or any possible device. Between his exciting travels with Jeanette, Meek would spend his time in his lab doing a multitude of experiments, many of which he used cameras to capture what he claimed were spirits, invisible energies emanating from people, and even his own spirit body, also known as an astral body. 
exiting his physical body during a self-induced out-of-body experience. For Meek, these images only cemented the idea that we are more than our physical bodies, and that something of us survives death, and the possibility of contacting those who have passed on might be within our reach. The device that would bridge these two worlds together would be known as the Spiricom. Spiricom Mark I began in 1971 in a small lab in Philadelphia. Right from the start of its creation, the Spiricom had a bizarre and unique history. The first version of the Spiricom was aided by a medium who claimed to have received messages from physicist Dr. William Francis Gray Swan. Swan allegedly offered a device to help bring the device to fruition. The device was created by George Meek, Paul Jones and Hans Heckman, and was made up of a demodulator, pre-amplifier, microphone, tape recorder, an RF generator, and an antenna. However, despite the best efforts and apparent help from the spirit world itself, Spiricom Mark I did not directly receive any messages from beyond the grave, so it was deemed a complete failure. The team went back to the drawing board, but much like its first incarnation, Spiricom Mark II also failed to make contact. But Meek couldn't bring himself to shelf the project just yet. Then, in 1975, Spiricom took an interesting turn. This is when Meek became acquainted with engineer William O'Neill. O'Neill, who also claimed to be a medium himself, had his own lab in his home. O'Neill was also heavily invested in the quest to contact the dead and told Meek in September of 1977 that he had successfully initiated a two-way conversation between himself and a spirit, which identified itself as Doc Nick. This led to Meek and O'Neill deciding to combine forces to create Spiricom Mark III. Mark III was a semi-success. It did manage to capture a ghostly voice, but due to the bad quality of the equipment, which led to massive amounts of background noise, very little of the voices that came through the device made any sense. Meek, feeling he was so close to achieving something that he's devoted a massive chunk of his life to, decided to go all in and pumped $500,000 of his own cash into the creation of Spiricom Mark IV. Meek's investment went towards acquiring new top quality equipment for O'Neill to use and also a full salary for O'Neill, as apparently he was the only one that could interact with the otherworldly subjects. It was at this point where O'Neill made contact with George Jeffries Mueller, an American scientist who previously died in Ohio in 1967 of a heart attack. O'Neill's two-way conversations with Mueller lasted well over 20 hours in total and covered a large range of subjects, including a number of questions O'Neill used to essentially vet and prove Mueller's identity. 
Though the team did make contact with other spirits, Mueller is significant because he gave O'Neill game-changing tips of how to greatly improve the Spiritcom Mark IV compared to its rudimentary predecessors, making it a lot more advanced than it ever was before. Drawing from his love for the theory of music, Mueller suggested O'Neill use a mixture of 13 audio tones, from 120 cycles per second to 701 cycles per second. This led to the team refining the system and brought about the arrival of what was called Spiritcom Mark IV. The audio recordings of O'Neill's conversations with Mueller are a lot more clearer than Spiritcom's earlier attempts, but they're still quite hard to decipher at times, without the aid of a transcript at hand. Sounding like a mechanical voice as Mueller's vocals are processed through the Spiritcom Mark IV, Meek deemed this to be irrefutable evidence that life goes on beyond what we call debt. Right, I turn it on, sir. Now we're using uh, the uh, RF generator. As I told you, sir, I uh, took a tuner tonic and I cleaned, you know, squirted all of the controls. And it's uh, it's been on now for an hour and a half, so it's pretty stable, sir. Does that uh, seem any better to you, sir? Base year. Well, uh, try an inflection, sir. An inflection. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, sir. Give me a count. Give me a count of five first, sir. Give me another five, sir. Give me another count, sir. Uh, better leave it there, sir. But everything else suggested properly. Oh boy, give me a recitation, sir. I said, give me a recitation, sir. I'm screaming, sir. I said, give me your recitation, sir, you know. Well, yes, sir, but it, uh, I don't know, for some reason or other, it don't, I can't explain it, sir. It's, uh, I think, I'm going to have to check this out, sir, and uh, I think tomorrow uh, we'll try it again, but I think go back to the, uh, pardon the expression, the old equipment. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, the old equipment. Uh, I'm trying to think. 
Yeah, get some rest. I know what you're talking about, sir. All right. Uh, I'm going to shut this down. I know the other frequencies are all right. I can make them a lot louder, but you don't like them that loud. Is that right, sir? That's correct, William. Conversations with Mueller covered a broad range of topics. Science, the nature of the world beyond debt, to simply just small talk. Hours of recordings exist. But Meek wasn't content to simply confirm the fate that lay before all of us. Through his years of research, Meek was also keen to map out the world beyond debt itself, so we may all better understand it and possibly prepare for it. According to Meek, he claims that upon death, there is a period of adjustment that lasts two to three days, after which the person will transition to one of a number of different planes of existence. The levels the human spirit can exist in, from the lowest level to the highest, are as follows. The physical plane. This is our current lives on Earth inside our physical bodies. the lowest astral plane, which Meek essentially claims is what many would call hell. The intermediate astral plane. Meek describes this as a waiting room of sorts where spirit can seek knowledge. The highest astral plane. This level is what many people and religions would describe as heaven. Beyond this, there are other planes of existence, all of which led to what Meek believes is reaching a state of pure nirvana. These planes of existence are interwoven into each other and exist in the same place as we do right now. The plane of existence in which recently deceased people transitioned to initially will entirely depend on how they live their life on earth and also directly to how enlightened they are at the point of their deaths. Though the spirit can move up these levels as they move towards true enlightenment, Meek was convinced that upon death our true selves, that is, all of our memories and personalities, live on, but instead now in a non-physical body. In 1979, Meek founded Meta Science Foundation in North Carolina. An official group for the researchers he worked with continued the research in ITC. Then, in 1981, Meek showed off his findings at the National Press Club, holding a press conference in which he presented both the recordings of Mueller as well his mapping out of the planes of existence. And this meant that the Spiritcom was finally out into the wild. However, Meek's findings did not set the world on fire like he had hoped. And apart from a number of articles, it did not spark much interest. A lot of this lack of interest could be chalked down to the fact that, prior to the press release, the spirit of Mueller ceased contact with O'Neill, and they weren't able to contact him since. Meek compared this to the Wright brothers. 
When the Wright brothers made their first flight, they crashed the plane shortly afterwards, after which they informed the press of their amazing accomplishment. It meant until their next flight, the world would need to simply go on their word that a successful flight took place previously. But whereas the Wright brothers successfully flew again and changed the world as we know it, the Spiritcom never successfully made contact with a spirit again. During his life, Meek would author two books focused on contacting the dead. The first was 1980's After We Die, What Then? It was followed up 20 years later with Enjoy Your Own Funeral and Live a Happy Forever, in which Meek claims to have received a message on his computer from his wife Jeanette, who died in the spring of 1990. Jeanette, now allegedly in the spirit world, was apparently serving as a type of guardian angel for those who were dying in the Gulf War at the time. Then, after the initial contact, an image came true on Meek's computer that he believed was his wife. Also in the image was Nancy, Meek's daughter that passed away to only two weeks old. However, in the photo, Nancy was now a grown adult. Lastly, and perhaps most strangely, film producer Hal Roach, who produced many of the Laurel and Hardy movies, also appears in this image, claiming to have been taken in the afterlife. Much like every bizarre and strange breakthrough in Meek's career, for him, this further cemented that, once again, he was on the right track. George Meek died in the winter of 1999. The validity of his work, despite being strongly debated by even the most hardcore believers of EVP and all things paranormal, was undoubtedly an important moment in the history of parapsychology. The MetaScience Foundation that Meek founded back in 1979 still exists today, and they are continuing their research and work that Meek tirelessly focused up until his death. Uh, that's a good question. What is in it for me? To answer that question, <clears throat> I have to face the issue squarely and say that I am a visionary. And since this is so crucial in answering this question, which obviously would come up in a situation like this, I've taken the trouble to set down my vision. So bear with me a moment while I, I read uh, and uh, give you precisely my vision. Within perhaps 50 years, which is just an instant of time in the march of civilization, other inventors will have perfected the communication system. Then, billions of people on planet Earth will each know, A, that death is merely the door to a new life, and B, that the quality of that life will depend on how well they master and live this life. The result will be nothing less than an evolutionary leap for mankind. There will be no more war, murder, or suicide. That is the legacy I want to leave my children and grandchildren and yours. That is, why, that is what my wife and I have purchased with hundreds of thousands of dollars we would otherwise be leaving to our offspring. So that's what's in it for me.
a man so blinded by what he wanted to be true that he was taken advantage of by those around him? Or did George Meek reach beyond the veil of debt and, even for a brief moment in time, make direct, two-way contact with his spirit? Maybe one day, George Meek himself will find a way to reach out to us. Perhaps you might hear his faint, distant voice reaching out from the great unknown. Next time you watch TV, enjoy some music or listen to a podcast. This has been Something Strange. Thank you for listening to Something Strange. Please consider subscribing and rating Something Strange wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out our website at strangepod.wordpress.com, which features a companion blog for each episode, sharing thoughts, links, videos, and sources. Please follow us on Twitter at astrangepod. That is at astrangepod. If you'd like to reach out directly for feedback, suggestions, or even a question, please email somethingstrangepod at gmail.com. Something Strange is written, edited, and presented by me, Dennis Murphy.